be bold and be brave and just go for it. As photographers, we are always looking for powerful images that, that will hold time in place, that will draw people in and symbolize something universal, something shared, something emotional. Everybody needs to see what's going on everywhere. Pictures just stand out. This is how we remember. Insights, kits, and the conversations that matter with the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. Hi, we are live at Canon's annual student development program where student photographers have the opportunity to attend inspirational and educational lectures, as well as develop their craft in the format of portfolio reviews under the guidance of industry professionals. Welcome to Shadow Stories. My name is Ilvinio Kikchin. I'm a Canon ambassador and I am today's host. And in this special episode, I will be sharing trends emerging from this week's lecture series program and excerpts from a couple of the panels that I hosted at the event. But first, we are here with Canon Student Development Program alumni and now Canon ambassadors, Senia Kulishova, who's calling from Warsaw, and Michele Spatari, who's based in Johannesburg. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thanks so much for being here. So ever since leaving the program, you guys have skyrocketed into this career path, I feel. Senia, you were the 2020 W. Eugene Smith student grant recipient. And Michele, you joined the Canon Ambassador Program. So it's been quite a crazy time for both of you, I would say. Could you maybe, um, and let's start with Senia, could you maybe tell us uh, what year you were on the student program? Um, hello, everyone again. Uh, I participated in the first edition of the Canon Student Program in uh, 2017. And um, oh, it was uh, amazing because my project Abhazia uh, was selected for the screening at Visa Pour Limash. Uh, next year in uh, 2018. So it was a great visibility for me and uh, opportunity to present my work and it led to further collaborations. And when you were going to the program, could you have imagined that your work would then in the next year be shown to all the uh, industry professionals like that in the big, the biggest mm, of course, uh, audience of course you not. could have? <laughs> of course not, yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh, just more than I expected. I can imagine. And uh, Michele, can you tell us when you were in the program and what your experience was? I was in the program the year after Xenia in 2018, and it was still in, um, during the Visa Pulimage in Perpignan. And as Xenia said, uh, I was able to meet a lot of, pro of professional and colleagues and some of the portfolio reviews I did were um, fundamentals for my career. I later was able to be called by Canon to, for an artistic residency in Matera. And also um, Perpignan, uh, the Canon student program was the start of my career with big news agency. And for that, I later move, moved in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. So, yeah, it, it, it was really a key point for the start of my career. Yeah, it must have been a really crazy, uh, let's say, three years for you, where it really went very quickly with your career. I know your work uh, quite well, as I've been shooting in South Africa as well, of course. And I could just see you move through that industry there and you started working for AFP, but many others as well, I feel. You're everywhere. Yeah, 
Um, really, the contact that I was uh, able to do during the Cannes student program, then I carried them when I moved to Johannesburg and I started collaborating with the AFP, but also was pitching to other media and so on. And yeah, it was quite a roller coaster, <laughs> but uh, well, a happy one for now. <laughs> A happy one, <laughs> good. And Senia, during the during your professional uh, uh, week, was it mainly listening to the lectures or the showing of your portfolio? What what do you feel helped you most? It uh, it's difficult to say now what exactly helped me because it was the program was so intense and diverse, and we had so many opportunities to ask questions, to show our work to different mentors from different fields. Uh, so you just uh, catch from every mentor something that is useful for you. And of course, it's difficult to measure how um, yeah, how helpful it was because it, it was definitely very helpful and um, very intense week. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just uh, the best time uh, when you can ask everything you want and uh, use this opportunity for your career. Mm, definitely. And was there any advice that really stuck with you from maybe from a mentor or from someone reviewing? I think it was about um, building confidence um, uh, because I get, got uh, many positive feedbacks and uh, um, yeah, it just helped me to realize that uh, you have to stand uh, for your work and believe in your project. Um, yeah, I think that was uh, the most helpful one. Yeah, it can be very inspiring, right? To show your work and to be amongst colleagues and other students who are also maybe yeah. a bit nervous to show their work, but then when they look at your work and they like it, it yeah, that does build confidence, I can imagine. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, w I was quite involved in the program in the last years as a mentor and I saw so many students coming through the program and I would look through their work and they would be so nervous and at the same time their work was so good. I think the level that, that comes through the uh, Canon Student Development Program is really high. I don't know if you feel the same way, but a lot of the work is so good. Uh, but many times the students are so uh, young and they don't realize that what they have, uh, the quality that they actually can give to an editor or to a certain story, they, they kind of underestimate themselves sometimes. Um, so it's amazing to see them grow in a week like that. That's true. I think it's also very important for participants to take notes because uh, in every meeting you, you get so much input that uh, it's difficult to remember everything. And if you take notes of every meeting, then after the program, you can uh, reflect uh, on this experience and definitely uh, new ideas, even more ideas will come to your mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think it's an amazing week to also uh, go back home and be uh, inspired about new new kind of projects to work on. And um, Michele, do you, did you get any advice maybe from an editor or a mentor or anyone during the program that, that you still kind of use today in your day-to-day -day practice as a photojournalist? Um, yeah, surely. Well, to me, the program taught me uh, mostly to always share your work, like share it with your colleagues, share it with, uh, you know, editors and so on. Uh, even when it's ongoing, 
always reach out and trying to see, you know, new opinion, fresh eyes on what you're doing. And uh, I think that's fundamental. And also to reach out to people that are not in the industry, because ultimately what we do, it's for a broader public, most of it. So I think that it's important as well to have an opinion from someone who's not inside and who's not used, you know, to consume stories every minute mm-hmm. like we do. And I think that give you um, very um, different perspective on what can work or what can't work for a broader public who's not that used to, you know, documentary stories or picture leading stories. It's very interesting sometimes to show work to people who are not in this industry because sometimes you feel you're like really on track with the story and you show it to peers and they're like, oh yeah, this is such a great story. But when you show it to someone outside of the industry, they might be like, oh, what is this about? Or, And then you realize you're missing a certain link and that you didn't think about that you have to share more background of a story. And um, yeah, I think that's a very very smart uh, advice to give because it's it's um, a mistake that I think all of us sometimes make is to keep showing work to peers and not thinking about showing it to people that are outside of this industry. I think that's a really a really good one. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's not in a bad way, but sometimes we get too out-referential. So I think that's a good way to have... Uh, you know, contact with uh, with yeah. the public, let's say. And in the program, I mean, I remember going to Perpignan to the photo festival for the first time. I think it must have been around 2010. And it was so difficult to, to I mean, as a starting photojournalist, to get in contact with the editors because there would be long lines of people standing in front of them uh, hoping for portfolio reviews. It's It's a bit it's different now the way they organized it you can you can book a time slot with an editor but this was not like like a few years ago it wasn't like that you had to stand in line and i remember it was nearly impossible to get to speak to to important editors um and i think that's one of the things that i like the most about the canon student development program is that all the editors are there all the industry professionals that are important in this field are there um, so Senia, to be able to get access to these kind of picture editors, um, in which way, in which way did that help you during the program and after? Um, it was definitely very helpful because I could build a long-term relationships uh, with the editors or, um, yeah, just to introduce myself without cues uh, without uh, running after the edit, I think we have uh, not to forget that there should be respect also. Uh, and uh, if you want to find uh, a meeting or an opportunity to speak with the editor, um, that was the best opportunity because they were there for us and they took all their time and energy um, yeah, and invested it in us. And um, it was just the great start of uh, our relationships. So are you still in contact with the person who reviewed your work in 2017? Uh, I'm in good relationships uh, with most of uh, people whom I met at the program, both editors and students. Um, so I know that with them, we always can discuss our project uh, projects and ask for a feedback. You're good at keeping contact. I should learn from you as well in this uh I am quite good at keeping in contact, but what I should learn a bit better is 
like Michaelis said, when you are working on a story to keep sharing, I should become better at that. Sometimes I just work on a story, I work on it and work on it, and then I never share it because I feel it should be better. Um, it's not finished yet. I don't want to show it yet. Uh, but in the end, I think it's very important to have or to involve the editors and to tell them, hey, this is something I'm currently working on. It's not finished yet, but could you have a look? And um, I think that's also an advice to any photographer out there, like make sure to keep the editors involved. And it's also advice to myself. Michele, what do you feel uh, with the skills that you've learned during the program what kind of new skills did you acquire? Because you went through school for photojournalism, I, I'm guessing, or not? Did you go to photojournalism school? Um, yes, I did. Well, I did it when I was already working, but my background comes from architecture. I'm a, um, I graduated in architecture quite a long time ago mm -hmm. now. And, uh, and later on, when I started working, I, I felt the need to have a proper education, but and um, I did the Canon student program just right after the end of my one-year photojournalism course. And that really put me into the perspective of what the industry looked like because I could share my work and see my colleagues who work for, from so many people and so many talented people that were my age and they were so... I felt they were so mm -hmm. ahead of me and that really inspired me to, you know, push me, push forward my skills and my abilities to tell stories. I think that was really, I think the one of the most um, thrilling part to me was being able to see my colleagues work. During that week. And also, of course, yeah, of course, uh, the, 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 the contact with the editors and with the people in the industry, it's fundamental. And that's, you know, uh, unbelievably good how you can uh, get in touch with people during this kind of uh, initiative. But also being able to share with your peers, I think it's a, it's mm, a key factor. Yeah, 100%. And do you feel that without the program, your career would have gone differently? In, in was it really a kickstart into your career? Do you feel you learned things there or you met people there that changed your career path? Yeah, I believe so. Um, uh, during one of, as I said before, I was in, later invited during later in the year to be the Italian representative for the artistic residency that Canon made in uh, Matera, which was the European uh, culture capital. And we spent there like a week uh, with one uh, with one mentor each. Mm -hmm. So I was able to stay one week working on the field with Marco Longari, who's the AFP chief photographer for Africa. And so we bonded and we worked very well together. And so thanks to that, we developed our relationship. And later on, I moved to Johannesburg. I started working regularly for them and I got many, many more assignments from big clients. Thanks from the exposure I was getting through AFP. So I think that was really, really fundamental. And my career would have been, I think, maybe a little bit slower without the Canon mm -hmm. student program. And, uh, but that was, I think it was so did, really fundamental. Did uh, Marco Longari from AFP really offer you a job right away or, or like a freelance job? Or how did that, or did he, how did that work? <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think many people offers you job. <laughs> That's in why I wondered. The photo <laughs> industry right now. That's very rare. But no, he just. I think he saw I was hardworking and I was. I, I had an eye for stories and I was keen to work with the news agency because it's kind of a, a tough environment because it's really fast. It has a different pace. You have to be very very productive in a really fast way. So uh, there was um, general election in South Africa mm -hmm. later on when I met mm -hmm. with you, Ilvi. And so he said, look, there's an there's election in three months. If you want to come and see how a big news agency works, I'm not giving you a job. I'm not giving you assignments. You have to come and pitch stories and work hard and make your way and show us you are reliable and you're good at what you do. But um, I'm... I'm keen to give you a chance. If you pitch story, wow. I'm listening. Yeah, that's amazing. I think he's, uh, again, in this year's program, uh, a reviewer or a mentor. I think it's great how he really gave you an opportunity after the program to to grow as a photographer and uh, to make money out of this industry or in this industry, because that's also uh, can be a hassle. Um, Senior, what have you been up to since the program? What are you working on? Yes. Um, so after the program, uh, I I was selected for the Jupes World Masterclass and the New York Times Portfolio Review, and uh, those events allowed me to build uh, long-term relationships, both professional and personal, which I value a lot. I won uh, big grants and many awards, had uh, personal and group exhibitions worldwide, and uh, wow. yeah. I hope next year, uh, I, if I win something else. Uh, uh, I will be able to publish my first uh, photo book. So, and uh, yes, I, I became a Canon ambassador. What can be better it's, <laughs> after <you>. the program? <laughs> it's amazing. That's really, I, I can't believe the way you say, it's like Jupe Swat and the Canon ambassador and the New York Times portfolio review and the book and the exhibition. It's unbelievable. It's like a whole career uh, in in one or no let's say in three or four years it's crazy yeah. yes very, i hope uh, very happy it's not the you. end <laughs> no i'm sure so it fast. isn't <laughs> i'm sure it isn't so are you currently working on a project i'm currently working uh, on a dummy for my for my book um and then i can present this dummy for to publishers and uh, um i'm also i want i i'm planning to continue my ordinary people project in Russia, I hope the pandemic will allow that. Uh, and what is the and project about? The ordinary people? Yeah, the ordinary uh, people project is about LGBTQ plus community in Russia. So, um, yeah, I want to show everyday life uh, of this community and to show that they are normal. And uh, so to show this normality, I, I decided to show the everyday life of uh, LGBT community and everyday moments that we all have um it doesn't matter which orientation you have and um yeah to be mm. gay it's not just about sex um yeah it's so i tried to show it in my project and uh, to show the um situation in a bit different angle to break stereotypes also beautiful beautiful and very current theme which is i feel always great as a photojournalist i mean as a documentary maker it doesn't necessarily have to be a current theme but i feel this is so relevant to this time 
yeah, looking forward to uh, to seeing the rest of that work. And Michaela, what have you been up to since the program? Um, I'm currently working on two projects. I am still based in Johannesburg, and uh, one of uh, the two is about security in South Africa as. Uh, it's uh, one of the, you know, uh, wildest country in the world related to personal security and security uh, in general. So um, I think it's very interesting to unpack the, you know, headlines of how unsafe South Africa is and see what's behind it, what's the reason and how the people respond to it and how they adapt and how actually the they they the country are responding with building a private industry, which is one of the leading industries mm -hmm. in the country. And the other one, it's a little bit more for myself. It's a, an exploration of an area of, in South Africa, which I feel it's kind of magic and it has its own, you know, um, uh, very uh, wild feelings. It's, it's called the Karoo. It's a deserted area in the middle of South Africa. And um, I've been experimenting a bit with this project with my, you know, languages and visual narratives. So I'm using large format uh, uh, film photography and medium film photography, medium format film photography. And that gives me um, the ability to change a bit my mm -hmm. pace. Uh, I was used to in the way I photograph and I, you know, I de develop a story. And I think it's... Uh, it's refreshing and I really like, you know, to try new uh, gear, new skills and always, you know, try to be, um, to experiment with my languages, try to, you know, mold my um, yeah, visual I think that's skills. That's very important because um, it's quite easy once you know a certain trick or you know how to photograph a story. I mean, you you can keep doing that forever, but I think the... The, the nice part of this work is that you can keep developing yourself and try out different ways of storytelling. Yeah, and I think you're a good example of that, uh, combining video as well. Um, guys, it's been a bit of a crazy year. We've had some challenges in the last year. Um, how have you coped with that? What have you learned from, from the last year, uh, Senia? Um, yeah, it was for sure a challenging year, but also very productive year for me i spent this unplanned extra free time in uh, uh, learning in reading in uh, uh, watching movies and i think everything uh, helped me to um, um, to get more inspiration to see examples of uh, great works and uh, um, yeah, just uh, now i feel that i'm uh, very inspired and motivated and um yeah i also read a lot about how our brain works and uh, everything so it's about oh, communication wow. so not just skills. photography do you really expanded your knowledge in different uh, ways yeah for sure i think uh, the, that's that we all have to do because photography it's not just about uh, visual language but also about uh, how to be not distracted from other uh, things that um, not doesn't help you to go further. We have to be concentrated and uh, how we can overcome our fears, hesitations that we all have. Um, I think it's it's good to work from different sides and um, that definitely helps you to go further. 
I feel you should be a motivational speaker too, actually, <laughs> for students in the program. We'll have to tell Kenan. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> yeah, you would be great at it too. I think it would be really suitable for you. Um, and what about you, Michaela, in the last year? Well, uh, for me, it was, I think I had a quite different experience to most of the people on the planet because I was out every day working very hard on the, you know, on the stories that pandemic brought out. Even in South Africa, that wasn't, you know, one of the epicenters. Still, it was one of the most affected countries in the con in the African continent. I mm, followed this story for more than a year and um, for news agency and for other publications for Liberacion and others. And then I basically uh, built a project out of that, looking at the experts in South Africa that were less mm -hmm. obvious and uh, a bit away from you know the, uh, the the hospitals and all that part of the that we have seen of the pandemic i was more interested on the social and the economic downfall that brought to the country and um, so to me i was <laughs> i was very busy very very busy uh, for the first year so i kind of didn't feel it like the rest of the world but then uh, you know everything slowed down again for me and I had a bit of the time to you know um, to, 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 to think of what I've done and what I could mm. have done better and so on but I think it was in you know the tragedy that was the pandemic and that it is the pandemic I was very lucky to have been able to work with you know um, great media publisher and editors that gave me the opportunity to, you know, uh, tell the stories I felt that were important. And I want a grant to continue on working on that project. So, and it's going to be, it has been exhibited in Italy and it's going to be exhibited in oh, Portugal nice. now. So I think it's, um, it was, um, and the tragedy that it was, it was, uh, I was able to make something out That's of amazing. it. That's amazing. I feel as well, I, I was also shooting quite a bit during the pandemic and what I really thought was interesting of being or of shooting on a daily basis was that you would hear all the news firsthand which is always interesting as a photojournalist but this was great this time around because it felt like you almost always had very accurate last moment information I don't know that's what it felt like to me with all the news you were reading it was interesting to see it firsthand and to be in the hospitals and uh, on the streets all day that's really what I kind of took away from that time myself absolutely I agree 100% so guys you both being very successful um, photojournalist and coming through the uh, Canon student development program I was wondering if you would have any advice for people starting out in this industry because for you guys it's not that long ago you started quite recently what would be your advice and uh, let's start with uh, motivational speaker Senia <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say uh, don't wait uh, there is uh, no right time for showing your work it's always the right time and use this opportunity to show your work to ask um, your questions there are also no wrong questions so don't be afraid, don't be shy, try to uh, overcome your hesitations and fears. Um, that's the only uh, opportunity that can help you also. There is, uh, yeah, use it 
and uh, yeah. show your work and you need uh, the visibility because if you don't show your work nobody will know about this about your work and about your projects and about your ideas so use use this opportunity yeah beautiful thank you and Michele um, to me I think um, it's um, I would say keep experimenting with new skills with new visual languages try to find your way but also be very open-minded to you know, new way to tell stories and uh, experiment with videos, with audio, with text, and be very, you know, open uh, to build new skills for yourself and for your artistic career, but also for the industry and see what is um, more working now and what is more, you know, appealing to the industry in this moment. And, uh, you know, um, that uh, helps you to, you know, Always keep studying, keep evolving, and I think it's a uh, uh, it keeps you um, mm, on the run. Yeah. Can you right. also add? Yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I just thought about um, a big long-term projects. Uh, sometimes it can can be also scary when you have a big idea, and it's uh, maybe will be very helpful. Can be very helpful if you break down. Uh, your big idea, your big uh, project into smaller parts so it's more imaginable and less overwhelming. And it's also important to have a plan, but uh, if you are also spontaneous and leave space for surprises while taking pictures, it's all, also great if you will be spontaneous and uh, be able to change your plan and uh, then more... Um, spontaneous pictures and very beautiful pictures will come i love that advice because i i i totally agree it can be when you're starting a big project a long-term project it's so difficult to start because you feel it should already be finished you are seeing the finished project in your mind and because it looks so nice in your mind you're almost afraid to start just you're afraid to fail that's what i kind of have and then you never start so yeah, for any photojournalist or uh, storyteller, just start. Just start shooting something. I think, yeah, guys, this was really great advice. I think for anyone starting out in this industry, it's super helpful to to hear this from you. Thanks so much for this firsthand uh, experiences that you are sharing and for joining us. And uh, I really hope for the upcoming years, your careers will be going uh like to the moon like the way it has been i'm pretty sure just by listening to you it will be uh, continuing this way and i wish you all the luck in the world and i hope to see you in real life someday soon thanks guys thank you ilvi it was a big pleasure thank you so much ilvi i hope to see you soon Next up, we're going to hear excerpts from two of the talks that I hosted this week at the event. And first up is the discussion on the importance of social media for photographers with Canon ambassadors and photojournalists Laura El Tantoui and Gabriella Gallimberti, as well as photographic storyteller Anastasia Taylor-Lind and Geo Director of Photography Lars Lindemann. As these were all recorded live, you may notice a drop in the audio quality. Lars, you are the one on this call as an editor that knows most uh, about how you use it in your day-to-day -day work to find photographers. And we would love to learn from you how important it is to present yourself on social media and what not to do as well. But let's start with the presentation. What are you looking for when you are checking people or new photographers out on social media? 
Oh, I'm I'm following uh, most uh, photographers uh, through Instagram, and I think two years I said in an interview that great work will be recognized anyways, even if you don't have any social media um, profile. I'm not sure about that, so maybe I have to re rethink um, my own words. Um, uh, I think that's still possible, but it's so much easier, even to uh, especially when you're um, um, from a place where you don't necessarily have uh, a direct connection to these uh, some of the most important hub for our industries. So um, that helps a lot. I'm, I'm still using um, Facebook in order to follow certain industry discussions, um, which is uh, you just can't do in, on, on Instagram or you just can't, you don't have these because it's, you know, so, so uh, visual. And um, uh, this is, uh, this is pretty important. So do you also like when you commission really new assignments is Instagram for you enough to trust a new photographer to be good or do you research any further? Oh yeah. Uh, how does that work? Like if you really find a whole new photographer that you haven't heard of yet through Instagram, um, are you then confident enough to kind of hire them and work with them? I think I'm, I'm, I'm confident enough. No, I, I will definitely um, ask around, uh, check, uh, um, the website and I grab the phone and, and call um, uh, the person I want to work with. So because um, if I have never met um, uh, the person before, um, so I need a first to have a conversation and not only via email or um, so. Yeah. And what what makes a real good profile stand out? That's what I need to learn. Now that I was the late adapter here, <laughs> I need to see how I can get more followers and more editors to look at my work through Instagram. What what do you really like when you're swiping through Instagram? What stands out to you? What is a good profile and what makes a profile bad? Actually, I'm not so interested in how they design their profile but i'm interested since i'm interested in the work itself so it's the photography it's all about the photography or uh, videos can be a good addition uh, where you can have a better um uh, idea of uh, how he or she works and um and uh, yeah but it's the visuals it's not the design whether you arrange how you arrange your posts or uh, how often you post so um, it's the quality of um, the visual work itself. Oh, that's funny because I, of course, I understand that, but I also always thought, or let's put it this way, I was sometimes quite jealous with colleagues which profiles looked really nice. You know, if I would check the profiles of some of my colleagues, I would see they are color coordinated, all the images are like in a blue, uh, whatever, and I would be like, oh, that's so far away, you know, like from what my profile looks like but now you are saying oh that doesn't matter i don't care some photographers or some people generally on on instagram or facebook use like like uh, really funny um strange names uh which i i think goes back to a time where everybody try, um, m many people try to to be more anonymous um, um when using uh social media and uh which i understand somehow but i think if you um use it um for yeah professionally you should use your uh real your your real name for your profile so yeah do any of the other 
guys on this call use any, you all use your own name, right? Or not? Well, I have a question for you, Ilvi, because you also have a very long name like mine. And um, I knew that I wanted people to be able to find me on social media, but then there are so many mistakes you can make in the spelling of Anastasia Taylor Lind. So my um, Twitter and Instagram handle is Anastasia TL, which may be confusing, but is a little bit more manageable. What, what do you do, Ilvi? Yeah. That's a really good question because I used my the first uh, four letters of my last name. So my last name is Neo Kikchin. It's 12 letters. It's huge. Um, so I just used the first four. Um, and then I used for a long time, I used images by Ilvi instead of that was just my business name. And I changed it last week. I had some of my social media also images by Ilvi on Facebook. I had a business account, which was images by Ilvi. And I changed it last um, week, like officially changed my business name into my own name. But it was a hassle for a while because I thought no one will be able to spell it. But now I figured I, I don't care if they are not able to spell it as long as they can find it. And I figured with my first name, they should be, but I'm not sure with Anastasia, it's maybe a bit more difficult. <laughs> it's, uh, it's more common. I asked a bunch of yeah. uh, Dutch colleagues how to produce your name, Ilvi, and I'm still not kidding. <laughs> I tried. No, no. But I like uh, <laughs> Alex Salter's this landing page because, you know, uh, most people uh, called him Alex Soth. And then, you know, there was this landing page on his website. My name is Alex Soth rhymes with both and that you know <laughs> you can try this um on answering that's what we should do <laughs> i think we should so any of the panelists on here did you ever try to call uh, color coordinate your work or make your instagram like give it a specific design to stand out or make these really cool sliders is that not the simple ones, but the ones that the Washington Post does, for instance, they have beautiful storytelling. Is that something uh, you're looking into, maybe one of you? I think I've been quite jealous, like you, Ilvi, of people who have it so nicely coordinated, because for me, it goes into a curatorial element, which I think is quite beautiful. It shows you not just the work, but how they're thinking about it. And I think this is part of the empowering things about a platform like Instagram. It's not just about showing the work, but going deeper into your artistic practice as well. So I think that's interesting for me. But when I've tried that, for me, I've done it on a very minimal basis and it's actually more difficult than it looks. And it takes a lot more dedicated dedication and commitment. And it just didn't work for my way of thinking. Hmm. And stories, do any of you make stories? And does Lars look at stories? Let's start with, uh, does anyone make any stories? I, I mostly do stories when I look for something that I want to photograph because uh, but this is part of the, the things that I would like to say about my social media, the way I use my social media. But I, I, I use a lot of stories for, uh, you know, interacting with people and looking for something that I want for a project or when I want to meet somebody on a new city where I'm going, I just, you know, make some stories saying, I just arrived in New York and I'm looking for this and that who, who wants to help. And, and because I see that stories are, they get more interaction with people more than posting, uh, in my case. Uh, so I use that a lot for, you know, finding people and, and 
connections. Mm. And, and sometimes I also share some of my personal life. Sometimes, sometimes I do, I, I admit. <laughs> like in, in these days, I mean, I'm on vacation and yesterday I posted that story of me playing with my nephew. So yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. I have this kind of little things because uh, it's nice to, you know, to also for friends that are following me to share something that I do uh, beside my, my work. <laughs> but it's well, really rare. For, for followers in general, I think they really like seeing personal things as mm -hmm. well. Not just friends, friends, but also followers that want to see, okay, who is this person behind the photographer that I'm that I'm following, yeah. right? So yeah. And Anastasia, I saw you nodding. You're also working with stories. Yeah, I use stories probably more than I post to my actual Instagram feed. And I sort of um I delineate between the more the more finished photographs, if you like, on my feed. Um the photojournalistic stories I'm telling mostly there'll be an occasional sort of personal post but then I use stories almost every day just sort of documenting my everyday life mostly it's um not related to photojournalism so um I post a lot about poetry the books I'm reading and the poetry I'm writing vegan food and vegan <laughs> recipes um my puppy uh, there's a lot of puppy posts and um and horses. Yes. horses and horse riding um and I remember when I first made the decision to switch it like that so my stories was more personal and every day and they disappear after 24 hours in any case and my feed was more sort of professional if you like um some of my friends you know sort of said oh are you sure you want to be posting all these things that aren't relevant to photojournalism because people have followed you because of photojournalism and all these people who are interested in that profession will see those posts too. But there have actually been several occasions where I've been commissioned for stories based on my personal uh, posts. For example, I mean, it only happened once, but um, I had a phone call from the then director of photography at Nat Geo, um, Sarah Lean, who said, we have an assignment where we need somebody to ride a horse and make photographs at the same time. And because of my Instagram feed, she knew that I was a competent horse rider. Um, it hasn't happened yet with a puppy, but I'm hoping at some point I'll get a dog assignment. <laughs> it should. <laughs> For putting all the effort into sharing all these images and videos, there will be one coming up. <laughs> So Lars, maybe you have a puppy story. <laughs> puppy story. No, but I'm, I'm. Uh, your your puppy is adorable. Uh, I'm following uh, puppy stories on a daily basis. Always <laughs> got a dog myself, so I was. Not, I'm not so much into horse riding as you know, Anastasia. But uh, puppies are, yeah, okay. Uh, no, but that's absolutely true. So um, if you think about someone, then sometimes you need someone with uh, certain special skills, whether it's. Uh, I don't know, rock climbing, bouldering, or, or horse riding. So it's it's good to know about it. Just just recently, um, uh, one of my uh, last year's fellow WordPress photo jurors, uh, Ian T, posted something from a boulder place in in uh, Kuala Lumpur. And so, um, which at Geo sometimes you need people with climbing skills. And this is already you know like bookmarked in my mind that uh, Ian might be someone in the area with climbing skills. So that helps, definitely helps. 
Yeah. And regarding the stories, I um, I do stories in order, yeah, sometimes um, promoting uh, events or the work of others open. I started uh, some years ago um, to do stories on, on the photo festivals or um, award ceremonies, but I found it a bit stressful sometimes, you know, doing, talking to people and covering everything and like uh, writing the lines for, for the story. So I stopped it. And I just mostly I repost um, the stories um, to events or things I'm somehow related or geos related to. And yes, I'm I'm definitely following uh, stories of photographers I work with or I'm interested in that. Okay, yeah, I'm really uh, that's really interesting to hear because I've been having some discussions with my uh, studio manager. And I was saying, I think I need to upload more images. And she was like, no, you need to upload more stories. And I have a puppy as well. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to share too personal stuff because it isn't Facebook. But now hearing that Lars is watching the puppy of Anastasia and then Anastasia sharing it on a daily basis, I'm going to change my uh, Instagram tactics here. Um, Gabriella, uh, you started explaining a little bit about how you use social media because I think you you use it more to connect to new sources, right? That's what you were just saying. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think I'm on Instagram since eight years, probably from the beginning. From the, uh, from the beginning, uh, but I I was using Instagram uh, as a you know platform to share my personal life for the first two or three years. So I was just you know taking photos with friends and going to vacation or going around with my motorbike. But then uh, everything has changed when I started to work for National Geographic uh, five or six years ago. And so I became one of the contribu contributors of the feed of National Geographic, National Geographic, which has millions of followers. And every time that I post something there, I get a lot of followers back on my account. What is so it? So just an estimate. Yeah, every time I get you know two or three thousand more. Every post that I make on National Geographic, I get two or three thousand more followers on my account. And so within a year, I I grew up. I mean, my my base grew up till a few hundred thousands. So now I'm about three hundred thousand followers. And so I, since I have a lot of people following me, I decided to use Instagram in a completely different way because uh, I didn't feel like most of these these people wants to know uh, about my, you know, my motorbike or my, you know, parties with friends. And so, uh, like three, three years ago, I made the experiment of, you know, trying to use it as a, as a source for finding people. And I made some stories and posts looking for uh, children to photograph for my uh, Toy Story project. And I received hundreds of answers of people wanting to, you know, uh, inviting me at home and to take photos. And from that moment on, I, I decided to use it in that way. And it's actually working a lot because, for example, my last project, uh, the Americans, the, the one that I made, you know, in the USA, photographing people with guns. Uh, I would say that 90% of the people I photographed has arrived from Instagram accounts because, you know, I made some posts and I then I, I started to follow 
um, certain hashtags or a certain kind of accounts, and and I made some posts, and you know I interacted, I I had some interaction with some uh, you know influencers of the gun industry uh, who made a post telling that I was looking for people, and so. Within one or two months, uh, I was able to to connect with many people and, and to find thousands of people with guns in the US that wanted to be photographed by me. And so, so then I, I from an organ mm, just one quick question about the organization of this all, because then your phone just beeps and beeps and beeps and, and there's a thousand people saying, Oh, come to my house. How do you organize this? It doesn't the, have the weeks of work. Uh, it's actually you, weeks of work. Someone. Yeah, it's, it's me at home uh, looking at the accounts and you know writing and reading messages, and then I, I simply made a selection, uh, looking at what they were posting, and I said, okay, this guy is more interesting than the other one. And then I made also the logistic of my trip because one was in New York, while one was in Chicago, the other one in California, and so it was really difficult to connect everybody. But I spent. I would say probably one or two months just organizing everything and connecting with people. And at the end, uh, I made a selection of 50 people. I called them and, you know, I made a, a schedule in my agenda. So one was, let's say, the 1st of April, another one the 3rd, another one the 6th, another one and so on. And then I, I went to the States, took a car and drove all around to connect with all these people in real life after months of connection in Instagram. And and that's for me, it, it works uh, really much. So, for example, now I'm going to Greenland in, in 10 days for another project. And I basically did the same, even if uh, where I'm going, there are not many people. But, you know, I made a couple of stories a few days ago uh, saying I'm coming to Ilulisat. I'm looking for this and that. Is there anybody who wants to help? And I got two answers, which it doesn't look much, but considering that there are just 500 people there, yeah, it's, it's actually a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Do you do this as well, Laura? No, I think my engagement is quite different. I think it's really interesting to to hear how everybody else engages with it. I think for me, the issue with social media is that it really blurs the line between the private and the public. I mean, I don't think that line even exists anymore. And this is problematic for me in my work because my work is increasingly, or has always been, I think, taken on a personal element where I'm telling stories that relate to my own story as well, my own background. So do I share that or not? It's part of the work I'm committed to it. So obviously it's out there and I'm putting it out there. But I think I don't engage with social media in the same way. Like I hardly relay any stories about what's happening in my life because I like to keep the private private to me. Although I think when I first started using social media, I used it differently. I posted a lot about what I was seeing, what was happening, some backstories to uh, maybe a bigger story that I was photographing, what's happening behind the scenes. And I think I just go in different uh you know, like the relationship has really changed over the years for me. Um, I think it's just it's it's become a bit more distant as my practice has also changed. And the way I'm interrogating what I'm doing is different. I even go 
on some spots where I just delete everything that I have on my post or I archive it. And then I start fresh from all over again, because I think for me, it's good because it allows me to challenge myself to see things differently. And really, um, if I'm maturing a new approach, then I want to dedicate time to that and not be stuck in thinking in old ways of seeing. And I also think it's a good way to engage the audience, tell them something new is coming. Um, So I think my relationship is just quite different, but I tend to work on also long-term projects and uh, yeah, I tend to get involved. I haven't really used it in the same way that Gabriele has used it. I think that's a really resourceful way. Where you try to be protagonist through, through social media. Exactly. And I think that's really one of the most empowering thing about social media is it's eliminated all the time and all the space in between. You can directly engage with people on the ground. And I think that's kind of democratized it and opened it up in so many powerful ways for us as, as storytellers. Yeah. And you, you also reach people that you otherwise would have never reached probably like you, you end up with total uh, strangers that are maybe outside of the groups you would usually be looking at. I think that's also, and researching um, through social media, Gabrielle, is that something you rather do like online Google research or do you also research on social media, your subjects? I, I do both. I do both. Yeah. Um, as I was telling, you know, for the GAN project, uh, I, I made some research in Google and like, you know, web and you know, on the internet like we used to do uh, 10 years ago. but. <laughs> But it was much easier to do it to, to do it in, on Instagram because if you go there and you put an hashtag like Gan Fanatic, you you can find uh, hundreds, thousands of posts of people posting guns and stuff. And then it, it's so easy to to pick up the best ones, and and your attention goes directly to some accounts that are the, the right one, maybe because now that we, we we see photos every day and so we are really um quick to to pick to pick the right one and 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 what and that was much easier for me to make a research instead of you know reading longs uh, long articles every day it's picking photos and and select the right people and so yeah it works a lot for me and i think i will i will keep on using it like that for for the next projects Nice. Anastasia, do you research online on social media? I would almost think Twitter would be the best for kind of getting to the right people or maybe even LinkedIn. We're we're skipping LinkedIn, guys. <laughs> but isn't that a great place to find people that work in places? Um, I hardly use it, to be honest. Maybe Anastasia... You can elaborate on that. I don't have a LinkedIn account. And we're also not talking about TikTok as well, which is a really big and important one. I I <laughs> me, t- me too. I think, well, I won't speak for all of you, but I'm showing my age here with the social media accounts or the, the type of social media that I use. But um, <laughs> I know TikTok is a big and important one and gives another sort of innovative platform for sharing for sharing videos and telling stories um yes i sometimes use instagram for research i found some of the main characters in some of the stories i've told through through instagram 
Um, but mostly I'm excited about reaching, I mean, like Gabriella, reaching people that you wouldn't be able to, and but not necessarily as participants of my stories, but also as an audience, because when I tell a story for Nat Geo or for Geo, you know, in, in order for um, people to be able to see them and read that story, they need to find a copy of the magazine or at least um, end up a, a, on the website and be able to read English or German. Um, whereas with um, with social media, I'm able to share pictures and stories often with people from the communities that I'm, I'm reporting in, um, in a way that's more accessible. Um, and and as far as research, I suppose someone mentioned it, maybe it was you, Elvie, um, about Twitter being very, and I think Lars, you said it too, being a great resource for breaking news. So when I'm covering um, a breaking news situation that's moving very quickly, for example, um, the war in Nagorno-Karabakh at the end of last year, I would be looking at Twitter and searching for, for keywords and the latest updates um, so that I can find out you know if the front line is moving or where the where the bombing has hit in the city um that kind of information of course it's not verified when the information comes through very quickly but i think it's um it can be a great safety resource and also journalistic tool for breaking news we hope you enjoyed that insightful discussion and next up i'm talking with magnus wenman discussing his use of videography and photography and how the canon r5 has changed the way he works. Welcome, Magnus. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And I don't know if I know everything about video and stills, but yeah, I, I've been working with video for, uh, for a while now. So hopefully I have something to, to learn. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can, uh, you can teach us a lot. Would you be able to share with us? Because I know uh, a lot of the students watching now are here for the photography. So all of them, uh, I think many of them uh, are studying photography and maybe not all of you guys are into videography yet. So um, yeah, let's kind of see Magnus, where, where did you start and when did you make this shift and why? Uh, well, I mean, I started, uh, of course, as a still photographer uh, a long time ago. I think I was 17 years old when I started at a local newspaper in in uh, Falun Dalarna, a small countryside of Sweden. Uh, and after a while, I, I uh, left and moved to Stockholm, started working at the Scandinavia's biggest newspaper, Aftonbladet. Uh, and that's where I, I'm, I'm still working there. Mm -hmm. And my first like 10 years uh, at Aftonbladet, I only worked with still photography. Uh, but then around, I think it was around 2010 when the cameras changed and, and the opportunity came to work with video, I, I started to, to work with the video as well. Yeah. So it was really yeah. the start kind of, right? I remember the, I think it was when the 5D Mark II came out that integrated video. Uh, into the camera is kind of when, uh, yeah, many photographers made the shift because of the Yeah. And I actually, I think it was a, a few years earlier that I started to work with, I don't know if you remember, but uh, you could do like slideshows uh, with still images and, and just sound. And yeah. I remember one trip to, to USA during the Obama election campaign. 
and we were doing a story, I think it was in, in Denver at a, and we, we were visiting a trailer park, talking to people about the situation in US uh, at that point. And I remember they were, the, the people there were so amazing and they were, you know, so emotional. And I wanted to do something more than just taking still images. So I started to to record uh, on a recorder and, and taking still images. And then uh, that evening I sat down and made a slideshow with some music and their their interviews and still images. And when we published the day after on our website, the response was fantastic. At that moment, it was like a wow, wow feeling that I could like, yeah, it was an eye opener. Uh, can I do this all by myself? And, and it realized, it made me realize the importance and, you know, the opportunities to work with both sound and, and images. So yeah, that was a, a eye opener. And this was the really the kind of the first one. It wasn't video, but where you were working with uh, multimedia. Exactly. Yeah, it was. And it, it went on for maybe one or two years where a lot of photographers worked with, you know, slideshows uh, uh, on websites. But yeah, that was kind of the, the start and, and, and the beginning of how we work with, you know, video today. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't know, I feel like a dinosaur saying this, but I, I really still love still photography combined with audio and it's not that hip or cool anymore nowadays but i really feel it should be because i love hearing um people talk and at the same time being able to see images i don't know it has a special kind of pace for me do you ever still make those now or i'm not you know against using still photography in my videos i mean if it's if it's the best way to tell a story i will use still images so it's always about just finding the the best possible way of, of telling your story i think it's true that not every time around video matches or audio matches a visual story so exactly. what, what was your real first uh video project then where you integrated video together with photography or video on its own uh it was around 2009 or 2010 i don't remember exactly but um it was when the first camera came that did really good video i don't know i think it was a 5d kind of 5d uh was really good at making videos and i was working on a project that i called uh, rat capital uh it was about two homeless friends living on the streets in stockholm together with a lot of, of rats and the rats were kind of their friends and that entire project was like a big experiment in you know images and sound and a lot of sound effects and i don't think i've ever made a project that has taken more time than that <laughs> I, I i spent an entire summer uh, you know filming rats every night and it, it even went so so far that my wife thought i was cheating on her because i was away every night uh, and yeah i was sitting for you know all days just you know editing small sound effects and i mean if you look at this video uh i encourage you to listen to the details in the sound because it's it's a lot of you know time and experimenting behind it and uh, yeah it was just fun and and i learned a lot doing and, it and why did you decide that this specific project needed video 
Uh, I well, think it, because you were, right, at that time you were a photographer, you could have just taken images and that was it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just natural. I, I, I've always been curious of, you know, creating, finding new ways of telling stories. So it was just natural for me and, and very, very exciting when the opportunity came to work with, with video. So, yeah, I, it just came very natural. And suddenly you could create, I mean, things that you, you, you weren't able to do with still images. So, um, yeah, it was just, I think, fun, fun to experiment, to, to learn something new and, you know, a, a natural thing to do uh, at that time. So who was, uh, who was teaching you how to, uh, how to film and how did you know, how did you know how to work uh, with video, what to shoot? And uh, after you will share, I will share my embarrassing story on on how I on how I learned this. Uh, well, I don't know how you learned, but I I never learned from anybody. I think a lot of photographers have the same experience that we don't have like we didn't have anyone to teach us how to do uh, videos. So it was pretty much a lot of you know trial and error and making a lot of mistakes uh, and just experimenting. And I was actually using. You know, a lot of my my you know free time and my spare time just to 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 learn and to create and trying to create stories that I didn't know if they were going to be ever published, uh, but it was just exciting to do them and exciting to learn and and to try and yeah, um, it was a very inspiring time uh, when video came into to my life. Yeah, I think that was also what I found really inspiring in the, at the time was that so many people were wanting to create new things and everyone wanted to try it out. So I tried my first attempt to making a video um, and that was the embarrassing part. Um, I was actually on assignment um, or on, um, what do you, it wasn't an assignment, I was working on a long-term project and I decided to include video. I was at a right-wing uh, camp with a lot of nationalists that were very um, racist. And I decided that uh, this video or that this project needed video because the leader of this extreme right camp was saying such horrible things uh, that I felt I needed the audio to for people to believe the things that he was saying. Um, uh, and I was together with a colleague, Alice van Gelder, and we decided to, to do video and we told the leader of the camp, okay, we're going to interview you and is it okay if we can film and everything was fine by him. But we didn't tell him that we didn't know how to work the camera, how to make video. So we were literally, we printed out on Google a how to, uh, a manual for using the camera and how to record video and if you had to do an interview and put the person in the left of the frame or in the right, how to make a pan. And and we looked like such amateurs to, to the people at this camp. And we were, but we tried to make them believe we were professional video makers and we weren't. And the funniest part was that by just recording like, I don't know, 40 hours of footage, we had so much we could have drowned in it. Uh, but in the in the end, an editor put it all together and we won first prize at the World Press Photo. Can you believe it? We didn't know yeah. a thing about video, yeah. nothing. Yeah. And sometimes it feels a bit embarrassing uh, if I look back, but on the other hand, it was so cool to try something new. 
and it's it's probably that it probably was good because you didn't know anything uh, because you don't didn't have any rules or you didn't have any you know uh, anything in in the back of your head that told you to do it in a certain way. So yeah, um, it helps sometimes, right? I saw yeah. it as well because I watched your uh, the the red uh, documentary, and everyone should watch it because it's. First of all, it's a super good story, but it's also interesting to see how you um, how you filmed it. And what I really liked is that you also see a bit of the trial and error. You see how you learned and with the focusing. And um, I think the current technology also made our lives much easier. What are you, what are you filming on now, if I may ask? Uh, you mean what camera? Yeah. Yeah, I'm using the uh, the R5. Yeah. The mirror the mirrorless. So your life became uh, a lot it, easier. <laughs> it became so much easier. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it's a fantastic uh, camera and, and a fantastic new technique. Without you know, with the mirrorless cameras, it's uh, it makes everything easier. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. No, I'm happy. So, what would what do you call yourself when you introduce you to other people, or for instance, on on social media? Uh, are you a photographer? Are you a filmmaker? Or uh, I, I think I, I, I still in my mind I'm a photographer, uh, but of course I, I I normally say like a visual storyteller or uh, a photographer and a filmmaker. But in the end, it's it's always about just finding visual ways to to creating and, and telling a story. So it doesn't really matter if it's still photography or video or or just you know sound or 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 drawings or whatever. Um, I think my my aim is to just find the best way of, of telling a story. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I I try not to to be, you know, decide uh, for before a story how to do it, uh, rather than just you know finding the best way of telling the story in, in every every time. And are you a one, like a, I don't know how to say, like a one-man show? Or are you working with producers, editors? Uh, no, I, I try to do everything on my own. Yeah. So many times, of course, I work with uh, with a journalist, for example, that maybe writes the story. But when I do video, I do most of the work myself. Uh, I do everything, filming, interviewing, and editing uh, myself. Wow, that's uh, a lot of extra work. And yeah, what- w- with that said, of course, when when we do s- some of the stories, we travel like me and a reporter, for example. So uh, the reporter is absolutely very important uh, in the story as well. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, that's one of the the the, the most positive things with video uh, for us photographers that we can, I mean, suddenly we can decide how to do a story all by ourselves we are not dependent of the the the, the reporter or writing journalist uh, we can decide exactly how we want to tell uh, the story uh, and i mean that's something we couldn't do like 10 15 years ago uh, so it's yeah it's it's definitely uh, a positive and, and new way to work for us yeah so um I know from producing film and uh, short documentaries, um, for me, it kind of changed the way I look at photography as well, or at least at my own photography. Um, It changed my way of working um, a bit. I'm wondering how that has been for you. 
Uh, different photographer by making video as well. Yeah, I think I, I definitely am. Um, it affected me a lot, but uh, I mean, the main thing it's it's opened up so many new opportunities. I think uh, so. I mean, 15 years, 15, 20 years ago, when I started as a photographer, the, the, I mean, the main part of our job was just like a technical job. We needed to just get the, the image to our newspaper. Uh, if we were out traveling, it was a tough job to do, even to send it home or you know, develop it. Or uh, So now that's not a problem anymore. Uh, and the, the, our job has changed completely, I would say over the years uh, yeah. so today it's it's not a, a, a technical job it's not about technique or anything it's it's about finding finding good stories uh, and finding a good way of, of telling those stories and i mean now you have as i said before you have so many opportunities uh, to do that so the the possibilities are endless it's interesting that's, that you that's make a good thing that because um uh, when working with students, and I'm I, I'm sure you have done the same, uh, the questions that are being asked uh, are many times about technical things. Mm. And I always feel that the story is more important, that the storytelling, if it's video or photography or drawings or paintings or whatever, mm. the story is what is um, most important. And the technical side of that is important, of course, but it's a little bit less um um, relevant if the story is good, I feel. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. The story comes first. Yeah. But has your storytelling, the storytelling itself, has it changed because you're working with video? Are have you become more selective or do you take more images when you are shooting, um, pictures? I, I think, uh, the biggest change is, you know, when you start, uh, for me, when I start like a longer project, I need to decide if I'm going to do it in video or in stills. So, um, and it, because it's very hard to do both, uh, very, it, you, of course you can do both, but it won't be that good. So, and doing video, as you know, uh, you, you told me you should shoot 40 hours of, of video for your first video. It, it's a lot. it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of time afterwards as well to put everything together and to edit and to create the sound you need. And the, I mean, it's it's a completely different process than than doing still images. So, yeah, that's that's a big, important change that uh, that I think all photographers need to, to think about before they start a project. How am I going to show this project uh, stills or video? Can, can you teach us and the students, me and the students, a bit about how you choose? Because I find it very difficult to know when is it better to tell a story in images and when is it better to tell a story in video. For I mean, if, if I can put one example, the reason that I did video at the right-wing racist camp is because the guy was saying such racist things that I felt this needs to be recorded in audio or video, or otherwise people won't even believe me. Um, so that was a clear reason for going into video. Uh, but currently I'm sometimes struggling to uh, 
to make this decision. When is video better in your, how do you decide this for your own project? Yeah, it's, it's a good and it's kind of a hard question. If I, if I talk about my daily work at, at the newspaper, uh, we both need, we often need to do both. Like if we cover fast news or events or press conference or, or anything, we, we need to, to deliver both still images and video. Uh, it's, it's something that, you know, the business is demanding right now and, uh, it's, it's not much to say about it. We, we need to do it. But if, if I'm talking about like longer projects or personal projects, <clears throat> as I said, I always start with what's the best way of telling that particular story. So if, if for example, if, if we talk about where the children sleep project that yeah. some of you have, have seen, uh, it's a project where. Can you describe the project for the people who haven't seen it? Yeah, so it, it, it's a project I did in 2015 when when uh, <clears throat> a lot of people were traveling and escaping the war in, in Syria. And uh, I was uh, covering it from many different countries. Uh, and uh, I was taking pictures of, of children and where they were sleeping uh, when they were escaping the war in Syria and traveling to other countries. So that project, I couldn't have done it in another way than I, than I did it, I think. Uh, that was the best way of doing it with still images and just short texts. Uh, I don't see how I could have ever done it in, in video. Uh, I don't think it could, could have been done. On the other hand, later on, when I did a story about one particular girl who came to Sweden from Syria, and she was talking about her story and how she came to Sweden. And it was an amazing story. Uh, and I couldn't do that with still images. So I had to find another way to tell her story. So that's when I created <clears throat> a video where she drew her uh, memories uh, and we're talking about her memories of, of, of you know, traveling to Sweden. And it, it became the, the film Fatima's Drawing, who, who won the first prize at, at World Press Photo. And uh, I mean, that was the best way of telling that story. So the same is the same subject, but two completely different way of telling uh, stories. Yeah, I, I yeah, I totally agree with you. And I also want to say to all the students, check out this video. It is beautiful the way um, her drawings, so she's drawing her her memories basically, and uh, the way she's doing that, and the way you edit edited it with her voice, and you hear her, and then you see her in video, and just the combination of those things, it was it is so strong. Everyone needs to really check this out. When I first watched it, it, it really made me cry. I don't think I was the only one. Uh, I think you made a lot of people cry, or she did actually as well. Mm -hmm. And um, this really shows that the story is important, but the way you tell it to get so close to her and to have her draw these very uh, amazing, beautiful drawings of her memories, just the combination of that. I think it could, you're right, it could not have been done without video. You want to hear her voice mm. and it needs to move because it would have been much different if this would have been printed in a magazine. I'm sure it would have been great as well, but yeah. No, it's just one one example. I, I'm sure there are many examples, but yeah, it's it's a good example of how to, to use video in, in, in a good way. Yeah, no, 
I felt that the step, I don't know, I think you agree, Magnus, the step from going from video into storytelling uh, or from photography to video wasn't that big. It was big, was a lot to learn, but because you are a visual thinker already, that kind of helps, right? Yeah, definitely. And the biggest thing that you you have to learn, I think, is that it takes a lot of more, takes much more time. And uh, also working with, uh, for me, it was the, the sound part, how the, the importance of working with good sound. Uh, because the visual part, I felt pretty comfortable with. But working with sound, that's that's kind of a new a new world and a fantastic world. And it's I really love today working with with uh, sound and the editing process and everything around it. It's fantastic. Yeah. So what, what would you advise uh, the students that are watching now? Because they are now in uh, college or university. Um, what to, to be more prepared for the demands that's coming in from magazines and from newspapers by the time they, they start working, how should they prepare for that right now? What, what would you advise them to do? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that most most or many students are, are probably already better than me at you know the technical part and video and editing and stuff like that. But my advice would be to to learn uh, the the journalistic work, how to find you know unique stories that really engage and to get people interested. Because uh, if there's something that we really need more of, it's the unique stories. Uh, around the world. Uh, there are less photographers traveling today, less photographers doing interesting stories than before. So we, and we really need them. Uh, and I don't think that sometimes the newspaper don't even know how much they need those unique stories. Uh, but yeah, that's my advice. Don't focus too much on the technical part, focus on, you know, the, the, the journalistic part. Uh, and and finding good stories yeah and stick to it right yeah and stick to it yeah <laughs> i feel that's also important um uh when you are starting a story try to just dive in it and there will be editors that will tell you oh no it's a boring story or we're not going to publish this we don't have budget or they might not respond at all but if you feel it's a good story and there's something there stick to it like just Keep shooting. I, I did the same with my South Africa project. I got so many no's throughout the years. Magnus, I'm sure you sometimes also get no's. And you, if you, but you have to keep going if you believe in it. That's also what I feel. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, it, that's definitely true. And there will always be times in a project that you feel yourself that, oh, is this good enough? Or I don't know. Maybe I should finish. And that's exactly the time when you should like step up and and try even harder. Uh, and yeah, always try to finish what you started. 100%. So I know we're not talking technical, but just to kind of finish it uh, off, because we're almost uh, uh, through our uh, time limit as well. I was wondering if you could give some, some advice on gear, like for stills. Are you using the R5 for shooting video and stills, or are you using different cameras? Yeah. What would you yeah, advise? So I, w I would say for me the the R5 the, the new mirrorless Canon is has been like a re small revolution for me because that, that's the only camera I use uh, right now, uh, both for still and video. And 
the quality is so good that you don't really need to think about that. Uh, and I would also just say, don't carry around too much gear. Uh, for me, I, I like to work with as little gear as possible. Just one camera, one lens, uh, one maybe have a yeah, maybe have a backpack with you know a flashlight or a microphone or something like that, and maybe a, a small tripod. But I always try to use as little gear as possible because it can limit you. If you carry around too much stuff, it can limit you a lot uh, in, in certain situations. And which lens so, are you using? Which is that one lens you have? Uh, yeah, it's the, the 2470. Uh, yeah. Is, is my, my main lens. Yeah. Uh, and I use also uh, 7200 to, to make uh, interviews or, or other stuff when I need to get a bit closer. Yeah, because and then you use do you use good two cameras then where you when you do the interviews from a wider angle and then a close up? Yeah, most of the time I put one camera on a tripod, uh, just the, the the main camera, and then I walk around with the other camera to to do different you know uh, different uh, angles and, and other shots. Thanks for listening to today's special episode about the Canon Student Development Program. And if you're a student and if you would like to join next year's event, watch out for the opening of applications for 2022 on the Canon website. We hope you enjoyed today's show and we'll see you next week for another episode of Shutter Stories. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate and subscribe in the episodes listing. If you have any thoughts or feedback on today's episode or the podcast as a whole, why not reach out to us on social media? You'll find our details in the description below. We'd love to hear from you.